This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Samovar Tea. Learn more at samovarlife.com and by listeners like you. To find out more and make a donation, please visit insideactingpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And on this podcast, we like to do a little thing called an interview with some big people in the entertainment industry and then put them in a podcast and then put them on iTunes and then you go and download them. That's right. <laughs> and uh, we do our best to keep this uh, podcast as open a dialogue as possible. Uh, we're just two dudes with a podcast. We don't know everything and we try not to pretend to know everything. So if you guys uh, listen to something and you want to chime in or just have your voice in the podcast, get in touch with us. There's a million ways to do it, but you can start by going to our website, insideactingpodcast.com. And we've actually got a couple of emails and a voicemail on today's episode from as a couple well of as, listeners, as well as uh, an interview with Mariana Polka, who is a, a actor, writer, director, producer, another multi-hyphenate. She makes her living doing all this stuff, so uh, stick around for an interview with her. Okay, so episode forty-three. We got a. We've been at this now for a year and what three, four months? Yeah, something like that. Um, and literally, we would not still be going without uh, the help of our listeners. I know we say this every episode, but um, we have you guys to thank for not only um, keeping our motivation going with the podcast, but also keeping us literally. Uh, equipped to do the podcast, sure. and, and it's been a while since we've 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 had a shout out and um, and really thank some of the people that have uh, have donated to the podcast. But um, we've got a couple people that we wanted to just express a little bit of gratitude to for uh, recently donating, uh, whether yeah. it was a subscription or a, a lump sum donation. We used to do this at the top of every episode, and uh, we just we, we also want to get to your questions and your emails and your voicemails. So. We haven't done it in a while, and it's because we felt, you know, kind of crunch for time. We don't want the podcast to kind of go on for forever. You know, an hour is the maximum that we wanted to get to. So um, we just wanted to take some time right now, just to, you know, slow down, take a breather, and really kind of, you know, thank these uh, these listeners that have been supporting us financially as well as with their listenership. So do you have, you have a list? I have a list in front of me. Yeah, actually, we, we have the same list, I believe. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Stefan Fuller, who was on the podcast last time, right, with mm-hmm. his, his voicemail, um, yeah. he uh, sent in a, a, a very generous donation. Um, our old buddy, Ben Whitehair, yep. who's, you know, been with us almost <laughs> since the beginning. I feel like, I know, he's, he's just about. Yeah. He's been around since the beginning and, like, he's been on the podcast, so he has, like, this, yeah. this sort of... Uh, and he's been so great about spreading the word, and, yeah. and uh, he organizes the uh, actors' tweet-up every, what is it, every few weeks. Every six weeks, I think, they yeah. get together. I, I think the website is laactortweetup.com, and if not, we'll put it on the uh, on our website. Yeah. Uh, so go check that out. It's it's just a it's a cool thing. Uh, I've been a couple of times. Uh, Trev, you haven't... I have yet to go, but I, get, it's on my calendar yeah. to go in March. So, so we're going to have an IAP presence there. Yes, we are. We're both going in March. So, yeah. co- so come check it out, and you guys can meet us. Yeah. Uh, and finally, 
Emily LeClaire, who I believe is a subscriber, right? Then we also have uh, a couple of other people we want to thank. Alexandra Matthew, uh, who's a friend of mine, who's who's listened to the pod. Listen to she made a point of emailing me and, and letting me know that she's listened to every single episode since the beginning. Uh, and she's up in San Francisco, and she'll be making the move down here with her husband pretty soon. That's cool. We're actually going to be yeah. talking about the the SF Bay area here in one of the yeah. uh, the upcoming emails. Yeah, and then the last person, of course, we want to thank is um, Philip Wimmer, our our German bedrock listener <laughs> who has been uh, has been so great in spreading the word and being in touch with us and in uh, sending us some financial support. So everybody, thank you so much. So uh, it's been a few weeks, man. What's new with you? What is new? What is new? Well, it's pilot season here in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, I, actually, I want to stop you for a second and talk about that for a minute because I feel like pilot season is less of a season now and more just like a slight bump in audition activity. I feel like six years ago, pilot season was an actual thing. Now I just feel like there's a little, maybe like 20% more auditions around now. But well, I never noticed it before, and maybe that was just because like my representation wasn't in order and I wasn't really like... Hit it, firing on all cylinders, as it were, during this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it just kind of like I never even noticed. I'm like, pilot, what, what is pilot season? I'm, I'm not going out for any pilots. I've gone out for two this season so far, which is amazing. I'm, I'm totally grateful for that. And I was, I was at my place of business, and this person, this woman came in with her two daughters, and she said, I'm, you know, we're in town from Cincinnati, and we're in town because it's it's pilot season and one of the two daughters is an actress a young 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 actress and she's been on i think some nickelodeon shows maybe some disney shows that kind of thing and you know gone out for independent films she's a singer tap dancer that kind of thing it was very strange having this conversation because i was like oh wait pilot season pilot season is still a thing like Mm -hmm. people you know come to Los Angeles for pilot season. And they just live here for a month or two. Just live here for a couple months and then head back to, you know, wherever wherever they're coming from. Which is an interesting conversation in itself. I mean, how effective is that? Right. Does does that work? I don't know. I I have no idea. I mean, it's for them to take the time and the money uh, and the effort to to do that, it must generate some kind of something for them. Apparently, she had gone out for a couple commercials and something. and, and, And the mother also said that things were really slow this season, she said. So they must have multiple years' worth of experience. Otherwise, she wouldn't have said something like that. Yeah. So it's just really interesting. The ones that I've gone out on, I don't really have anything, any sort of learns to take away from them because, as I've said multiple times in the podcast, I only want to talk about an audition on here if I actually learn something I feel is you know, worth sharing with our listeners. I think the thing that I learned from the two that I've gone on. Well, one of them I know for a fact is nothing's happening with it. I heard through the grapevine, a friend of a friend of the casting director that it's not even, they're not moving forward with the pilot at all. Oh, so really? I okay. don't, I, I don't have to feel bad about not getting a callback because they're not doing anything with it. Ixnay on the pilot <clears throat> pay. Yes. And then the second one that I went on on was uh, for, I think it was ABC. And I walked into the room where they were holding auditions and there was this waiting room and then there was all these different offices. It was like this office building and each office was a casting office. And there were 
dozens of actors in this waiting room and we're all sitting around and there was multiple sign-up sheets and it was literally like the pilot audition room <laughs> oh and god yeah, it sounds it like a bad actor book right it's, like it's funny right you know, or like one of those websites that pops up that purports to have like the system right this is the how pilot you, audition room this is how you 57 dollars right paypal accepted <laughs> write a check uh and so so i was like wait a second how many pilots are are being cast in this room how many pilots are being cast by abc and then how many pilots are being cast period across the industry right now Mm -hmm. there was at least five going on in that one room i mean there was the waiting room and then there was the individual casting offices but i was like wait a second this is what pilot season is this is what people always talk about is like they're literally starting i mean obviously you, you you sort of know this logically but being there and seeing it was completely different. You mm. know logically that pilot season means like they are casting new shows for the new season or they've created new shows or they're trying to create new shows for the new season and hopefully those shows will take off and be successful. But being there and seeing it was way different. I don't know why. I can't explain why. You know what it did? It intimidated me less, to be honest. Like, you'd think that that room, like, oh, man, I'm really intimidated. I'm out on a a pilot audition. This is really intimidating. But I looked around the room, and I was like, there's a lot of jobs. That's a great realization to come to. There's a lot of jobs out there. Yeah. Because for the longest time, I've been like, you know, man, there's not a lot of jobs. There's not, And actors are, like, out of work, and there's so many actors fighting over, you know, these handful of jobs. And, yes, that's still true. But you know what? I didn't see a single person in that waiting room that i recognized not one there were dozens of actors in there so people are still looking for fresh talent people are still bringing in unknowns and there are a lot of jobs out there for a lot of different Mm. actors that's really powerful because i think a lot of actors come from a scarcity mindset and i've been reading this book called (laughs) called uh maximum achievement by uh, brian tracy and I've become really conscious of your mindset and how it creates the world around you, how you subconsciously create everything in your life. And I think a lot of actors come from a place where it's like the story they tell themselves, to, to take a page out of the Bjorn Johnson interview, right. um, is, is a story of scarcity. It's, right. that, it's that I've got to struggle. There aren't a lot of gigs. It's a really tough fight to get into the right rooms. You know, over and over and over again, eventually you, you kind of fuse those, those synapses. See what I've been learning? You fuse those synapses <laughs> and it just becomes habit to think that way. And so it's having an experience like that where it's tied to you kind of at an emotional level too is, is pretty powerful. Yeah. And that's what I meant by like seeing it. Yeah. Because it's different than like people talking about, oh, pilot season. Yeah. What? What? Pi- yeah. What is What is that? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Exactly. Pilots. And you think anybody who does like webisodes or internet anything is concerned about when a pilot season is? Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. Yeah. The internet is continuous. And that's why it, it seems to be happening less and less because that's the kind of direction that the industry is going. Right. I mean, the internet is becoming more, almost, it's getting close to being on a level playing field with television. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think in a few years, it's going to be like, there's the internet and there's a television and it'll be normal for people not to have a TV and just to watch everything on their computer. Yeah, it's already becoming that way. I know and a then, lot of people that are that way. And then yeah. there's the technology like Google TV and Apple TV where people are trying to fuse the two. Yeah. Um, and and sort of get in on that early so they can monetize it as, as much as possible. 
cool. So we have a couple um, emails and voicemails we wanted to uh, respond to on the podcast today. And I think we're going to start with uh, our first email from a listener named Susan, um, who wrote in with uh, a question about age and really disclosing age. She yeah. wrote, she wrote, she said, uh, how real do you have to be in filling in the age blank? I'm, I'm actually 52, but I'm constantly told I look younger and usually play early to mid forties. So should I answer artfully or truthfully? I, what's your, what's your my, gut response? My to gut this? response to this is who the hell is ask, asking you for your age? Like where, where are you finding like a blank, like a blank that says fill in your age here? Because mm. I don't know if you guys, I think, did we talk about this on the podcast when IMDb wanted to post people's like actual birthdays? We may have alluded to it. On their profiles and like people were pissed. People exploded because the thing is, is people make their living in Hollywood playing a different age. And I don't mean necessarily younger, although that's probably more to the point, but older as well or just, you know, just a different age than they actually are. They play differently than they actually are. So the fact that anybody would ask an actor their age is completely unprofessional, I think, in my opinion. And number two, you shouldn't put your age, real or otherwise, on anything. Some people, you know, put it, used to put it on their resume or something. Anyway, it shouldn't go anywhere. You should not reveal that. That's yours. Hmm. What what your age is in this business is what people perceive. Mm-hmm. And so, so then that brings me to the second part of my answer, which is, Susan, if somebody's forcing you, like holding a gun to your head to put something in the age <laughs> blank, put what you play, but just, there's a caveat to that, just make sure that it's as accurate as can be. So take a type workshop like Mark Atterbury's type workshop or get a lot of opinions from a lot of people who don't know you mm, yeah. and don't know your personality based on looks and looks alone, what age you you play. Hmm. That's my response to that. Wow. <laughs> That's, did you did you premeditate that I response? Well, that I was mean, pretty succinct. <laughs> I, I I did think about it, but it's also I'm I'm sort of passionate about the issue. So that's awesome. Right on. Well, my thoughts exactly. Uh, I would say you. I mean, you are only as old as you play. I think in this industry. That's so, right. So if if they're asking for your age, I think it's okay to answer um, artfully to put it in her words rather than truthfully, unless they you know they seem like the kind of people that would be that asked for your real age and seem like it wouldn't matter. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, you got to walk that line carefully, but wh- why does it matter? You know, how old do they think you are is really the question um, that matters. And that's right. Let them let them be blissfully ignorant if they think you're ten years younger than you are. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And uh, props to you, Susan, on aging gracefully. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cheers. <clears throat> Cheers to that. So we have another email here from uh, a listener in San Francisco. I've, why am I drawing a blank on her name? Leslie Richards is her Thank name. Thank you. Do you want to address this one? Um, yeah, I'll read it to you. You actually responded to this via email, so you should probably do the majority of the on-air at answering. But essentially. She had a couple of different questions. She was asking about, you know, getting your, getting into the unions, being that she's, you know, in San Francisco and not in uh, a major uh, film market. Uh, she said, you know, I'm non-union. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area working my 40-hour, you know, thrival job. Mm. And she says, you know, it seems like the big opportunities for big-budget films are elsewhere. Um, she doesn't say this, but I'm assuming she means, you know, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the world of acting, what would you say the Bay Area is known for? That's question number one. TV, theater, voiceover, commercial. Is it worth it for me to join a union and get an agent or just be content with the independent film scene and projects I find in my spare time? Hmm. 
So it kind of it's interesting because it kind of incorporates a lot of different discussions that we've had on the podcast before. And I know you answered by talking about self-producing, but she's also asking not only about you know independent films, but also about like the unions and getting an agent, and then also about her market specifically, yeah. meaning San Francisco. Yeah. And I think in your response, you said, you know, you're a little bit ignorant about the San Francisco market, but you answered the other parts of her question. Mm -hmm. And I would say just to kind of fill in that gap, that San Francisco to me, in in my opinion, is known for like theater and dance, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So, I I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I I, I don't know much about San Francisco, but I think what this comes down to, and we actually addressed a question like this several months ago, maybe even a year ago, uh, a very similar question on the podcast. And I think what it comes down to is, what do you want? You know, what do you, what do you envision your career to be? If you envision your career being, you know, quote unquote, uncontent with work, with working on independent films and things like that, then, then great. And hang out in San Francisco or, or wherever you are, if that's, if that's what you want. But I think a lot of people, and I, I'm guilty of this as well, don't actually take the time to sit down and think about what they want. See all the Brian Tracy coming out of me right now. It's just, been, <laughs> just knocking around in my oh, head. Is, it, is this from the book as well? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All the, all these <laughs> self-help books talk about that. And, um, and I think that's really important, you know? So she seems to be asking, like, what should she do? And I think it really depends on her goals. You know, you've got to take into consideration things like jobs and family and friends and, and, uh, yeah. and you know, financial uh, 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 concerns and things like that. Like, can you afford to live in Los Angeles? Can you afford to live in New York? Things like that. Um, and, of course, you can if you, if you want to. Uh, but I, my answer was basically, yeah, um, find, you know, what do you want? If you want to work in film and television, you've got to be in Los Angeles or New York, preferably Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, self-produce, self-produce, self-produce. I think that's really all it comes down to. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> the end. The end. <laughs> cool. So thank you for writing in, Leslie, and thank you for writing in, Susan. We also have a voicemail we wanted to respond to from a listener named Don who called in uh, from... The I-5 South driving down to Los Angeles. From Portland in what he refers to as a big-ass truck. So here's Don's question. Hey, guys. This is Don Colliver calling you from the I-5 Southbound, uh, driving a big-ass truck down from Portland, Oregon, <laughs> making a move to do this thing. And uh, a lot of it has to do with your podcast, so thank you. Also, Bonnie Gillespie's book, which is amazing, and I can't recommend it enough. Uh, little background, uh, yeah. I'm a improv performer up there as well as a commercial actor. And thanks to you guys and Bonnie's book, uh, I went ahead and self-produced the short, got myself back eligible, and a bunch of my friends. It was incredibly easy. I can't recommend it enough to amazing. other actors. Uh, I yeah, have basically made him and a bunch I'll of his friends sag. The first one, that way you can cut it however you want. I'm jealous when I hear people talk about their MFA and how they have all this extensive classical acting training, which I don't. Uh, I've kind of been training with the Better Meisner teachers in Portland, and I'm looking at LA teachers, and there's, of course, no end to ways to write a check as an actor. <laughs> craft uh, course to take somewhere without going back and getting my master's. Um, just back to breaking down plays, work, given circumstances, and and all the branches from that, as opposed to just jumping into the flavor of the month, hot teacher, or uh, something like that. So, thanks very much, guys. The podcast is awesome. Very much appreciated. 
I'm at Mark Gant. I'm working my way through. But uh, I'll see you soon. Talk to you later. Thanks, Brian. Awesome. <laughs> well, thanks for Mark Gant and working his way through. Working he's, way got, through. <laughs> he's got a long drive ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for calling in, Don. There's actually, I wanted to quickly respond to um, when he said he self-produced and basically got him and a couple of his friends into SAG by self-producing. David, so amazing. It's awesome. And David Lawrence has an article that he wrote on a website he created called Acting Answers. Mm-hmm. Dot, I think it's actinganswers.com. And he has a whole article wrote he wrote about how to Taft-Hartley yourself using a web series or some sort of short film or whatever. Right. And it's, I have to find the link. I have to read that article first of all, and then I have to find the link and I'll post it on our website. Cause that's a great solution for getting into to SAG. Now, uh, on that note, SAG and after are going to merge at some point yeah. in the near future, probably in the next 12 months. I don't know what's going to happen with that. I'm after, but I'm SAG eligible right now. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm kind of personally holding off on paying my 20, Four hundred dollars, uh-huh. or whatever it is, to SAG right now because I, I want to seven actually. Yeah, I want to see what happens with the merger. But yeah. um, interesting that that there is that that ability now for actors to be able to get themselves into the unions by creating their own work. Yet another reason to just get out there and be a filmmaker as well as an actor. Right. It's kind of an awesome reward for good hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's not going to be easy to self-produce something. Like yeah. we're not saying that's going to be easy. It might be easy to get. <clears throat> To tap Hartley yourself and get into SAG afterwards. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe. I don't know. We've Neither one of us have ever done it. But what's not going to be easy is actually self, is actually doing the self-producing and putting together a production. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not going to be easy. So it's not like this is a shortcut by any means, but it is a path. Yeah. There's a million different paths. And you know what's cool is that the more, the more we learn about this stuff, the more I think, God, well, you know, NBC... And the Weinstein, 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 I think, Weinstein Company, mm-hmm. all these big production companies, they all started with a couple dudes or a couple girls or a couple dudes and girls that just decided to make something, you know? That's that's how they all started. We look at them as these huge entities now, you know? But it all started with somebody who said, like, hey, man, you want to shoot something? I got this cool script. <laughs> you know? You got a camera? Sure. Cool, let's do it. And they kind of grew from there. And it's, so, I mean, there's nothing out there that's that's so big or or complicated that you can't start the process yourself. I don't know. It's just a, a, a little aha moment that I had. I like thinking um, of it that way. Yeah, it's kind of cool. We should probably answer Ron's question. We should. <laughs> so the 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 crux of his question was, I think, more or less about acting coaches, yeah? Yeah, acting coaching, acting classes. How do you find the right one? Do we have any recommendations? You know, I love that he said... How did he say there's no end to the ways in which an actor can write a check? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, well put. Well put. Well said. Um, I, I I don't know. Do you have any specific reactions to this? Mine was just, you know, like, different acting teachers <sighs> yeah. speak differently to different people. It's like you can't... We can't just say, like, oh, you need to go to this person because, like, they're amazing and they're going to do... They're going to, ha- you know, help you do amazing work. That might not be true for you, even if it's true for me. Yeah. So I think one of the best things you could do is probably figure out if there's a way to audit a class. I mean, if the act, if the acting coach or acting teacher is not self conscious, mm-hmm. they'll probably willing, they'll probably yeah. be willing to let you sit in on a, a class and see if you jibe they, with their the way that they talk. You yeah, know, I would the, say if, if they don't let you audit, that's a red flag. Sure. I mean, the, the classes are expensive. 
Yeah. You know? Um, and you can, you don't want to just, like, throw down hundreds of dollars on something if you don't know that the acting coach or class or whatever is going to speak to you. Yeah. You know? It, this is it's all interpretation and it's all subjective so it's you have to find somebody who speaks your art language yeah yeah for sure you know the way that you approach the work people people's approach to the work is all different that's why it's always kind of scary when we get questions into the podcast about the craft of acting because then we go uh Mm -hmm. this is what works for us but it may may not be you know it may not work for you yeah so you know, I it was nice to be able to go and sit in on Bjorn Johnson's acting class. When, you know, the the day or two before he came on the podcast, just to kind of be in a class again and hearing the language again. Like, what is an objective? What is you know your obstacle? What is your you know action? What are you trying to get from this other person? Like all this yeah. sort of like acting one on one stuff. Again, it was awesome to hear that. It's it's good to get yourself back in class or into class if you've never taken one at all. Mm-hmm. And you're just starting out, but make sure that uh, make sure you're not spending money frivolously, and make sure that you know something about it. You know? Yeah. Well, th- this is an interesting question too, because he mentioned grad school, and neither you or I have a, a master's degree in acting, and mm-hmm. neither you or I are really kind of consistently in a class. So it, I don't know if you want to talk about maybe why you didn't go to grad school and why you aren't in an acting class more often than not it's sort of the thing that peter bedard talked about when he said like don't go to school at all come out to los angeles because your youth is such an asset Mm -hmm. you know i wanted to i wanted to get started i had just graduated from you know undergrad at ucla i don't pretend to i'm not saying that i'm being like sort of arrogant about it but I, i just wanted to get started i wanted to kind of like get out into the industry and and start to learn that way and i had you know the theater company which was great i had a lot of really supportive friends i had some decent connections you know early on Mm -hmm. and i had an agent so you know i wanted to kind of hit the ground running and ever since junior high school i've had the feeling that actually working is probably one of the best classes you can take actually being on stage actually being in front of the camera actually doing the work i think personally is way exponentially better than actually being in a classroom setting in a studio setting yeah that being said a lot can get learned in -hmm. a studio setting you can learn a lot from in an acting class so it just that's this is what i'm talking about everybody's in a different place but i know you like me you are like constantly working on one thing or another. You're constantly doing something. And I'm sure you feel the same way that that kind of acts as your acting class. Yeah. I think of the theater ensemble as my acting class. Um, I didn't go to grad school, A, because I didn't want to get into that much debt. And B, because most actors that I know that go to grad school, they come out and they're really great actors. But that doesn't always translate to a working career i mean i hate to say it you know what Mm -hmm. i mean but it's like you can be an awesome actor and still not get anywhere they they don't teach marketing they don't teach audition skills they don't teach a lot of the stuff that you're going to need for film and television and commercial auditions unless you go to usc in which case they bring me in every year to teach the graduating (laughs) digital actor workshop (laughs) yeah yeah so there's that there's that but i mean you know i I feel like i'm i don't know i mean i have i have thoughts on on grad school i choose not to go um 
but also I, I think that there are classes that are really useful. Like I've taken a couple classes on audition technique and cold reading, um, and, uh, commercial audition technique and things like that, which are great scene study classes though. I think for me personally, I get a lot more out of reading books and then applying the things that I read in the books to the rehearsal process of the production I'm currently involved in right. with the theater ensemble. And then now I'm learning much more about the production side of film and television by self-producing stuff. Right. So, I mean, I'm, I like to think of myself as saving 250 bucks on a scene study class right. by actually going out and doing the work and just picking up books that look cool, like David Mamet's books, uh, uh, Harold Guskin's book, um, a lot of different stuff that you can kind of apply daily in rehearsal mm-hmm. with a different director every few months on a production that's actually going to be seen by people. Yeah. That's my two cents. Right. But, but keeping in mind that that's what works for us yeah, that may not be what works for others, you yeah. know, and that's why these questions are kind of difficult. Yeah. So, the, so Don, if you hate us uh, and you think we didn't answer your question, uh, call us back. Yeah. Call us back or email yeah. us or whatever and, and, and continue the conversation yeah. as it were. And I feel like this is going to be a hot topic. So any listeners who, who have a, a strong feeling one way or the other on this, please let us know. This is essentially a question of training um, and what you f- where you feel the best training is for you. And I, I, I would personally love to hear what uh, a nice kind of cross-section of actors who listen to this podcast, what their thoughts are on this kind of That'd thing. That'd be great. Send us in your thoughts. What what yeah. what did you do for your training? What did you what do you regret? What do you wish that you could have, you know, done instead? And yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about it on the podcast. It's a good idea. Awesome. So let's roll into this interview with Mariana Palka, who is an actor, writer, director, producer. She is the writer, director, and star, star? that feels weird to say star, but I guess she is, uh, of uh, a film she created uh, called Good Dick. Um, it's actually really good. I, I watched it on Hulu. You can watch it on Hulu for free, uh, or you can rent it. It's in Blockbuster, Redbox, Netflix, all that stuff. And uh, she's, she's here to sh- share some nuggets of wisdom about self-producing. So enjoy the interview, and we'll see you guys on the other side. Okay, guys, welcome back. We are sitting here in our studio with Mariana Palka, an actress slash producer slash writer slash filmmaker, and we're really excited to have her here because she does she does a little bit of everything and she does a little bit of everything very very well. So, <laughs> Mariana, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I'm so excited to be here. Cool. Um, so we uh, we usually like to start at the beginning because everybody's kind of journey into and through this industry is, is different. So. Mm-hmm. Um, just for starters, kind of where where did you get started? Like, what, what brought you... Because you're not even from the United States. You're from uh, Scotland. Yeah, I'm from Scotland. So, so tell us about the journey from Scotland to Los Angeles and what kind of brought you in to this world of the um, entertainment industry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I started out um, acting a lot in Scotland. Like, I was acting when I was a sort of teenager in Scotland. And then I moved to New York because I really wanted to be in the theater there that was my plan I moved to New York with a hundred bucks in my pocket a hundred bucks yeah and I didn't know anybody but I knew that I wanted to do theater so I was like very clear about that and really focused so what did you do after you bought your first cup of coffee (laughs) 
A hundred dollars? I feel like a hundred dollars in New York is like... stretched the coffee out for like that, so long. Did that, buy, did that cover your cardboard box for the night or what? <laughs> yeah, how that's you, all it covered. How, how that, that was gone in like two minutes. How did that play out then? Like, like um, Well, you know, I got a modeling visa. I did some stuff to make money. Um, and I finally found the Atlantic Theatre Company, which is where I ended up studying. And that was really phenomenal. Because, you know, I came to New York to devote my life to the theatre that was the plan and then after a while I decided that moving to London was a good idea and moving to Los Angeles was an even better idea after that and when I got to LA that's when I started writing um and I wrote Good Dick uh the script in a very short amount of time um and I had never written anything before and then I decided to direct it and I had never directed anything before so See, that right there I is just that. amazing because I love <laughs> so few people, or so many people, I should say, stop themselves because they're terrified of the process. Of, right. of, of the, I've never done this before. Am I going to do things wrong? Right. So we, I mean, we made a huge jump from you coming from Scotland to New York to writing your film. So are there any kind of stories that you have in between New York and Los Angeles and writing this film? Yeah. Or did it just kind of evolve really quickly and naturally? Well, I think when I got to L.A., I realized that I could do something I had you know power to make a difference if you like and say something with my work because uh, as an actress it's so great to do other people's projects it's really really fulfilling and when you're serving someone else's story it's really exciting but having something that's yours um, that you know you stick with for a few years is really you know it's equally fulfilling so that was really what I was looking for like I had made this decision to be really artistic like I wasn't gonna do I decided I wasn't when I moved to Los Angeles I decided I wasn't gonna make any decisions for money like I was just gonna do things for art for the art of it you know mm. um, and that's what happened like I just decided to do the art and then bizarrely like the stuff that I was doing that was really artistic paid off and is now like paying my bills you know so that's funky. It's funky. See, that it is, sounds magical. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm really like, I'm confused. <laughs> because <laughs> you roll into like one of the most expensive cities on the planet with a hundred dollars, yeah. and then you roll into like another one of the most expensive cities on the planet, namely Los Angeles, and you're like, I'm just going to do art, and then you are somehow surviving. Like I, I'm, I'm, you know, I know so many people, myself included, who are just like working their tails off. You know, to make ends meet. So that just sounds so magical. Well, it was magical. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like work my keister off. Is that that's an American word, keister? Yeah. Um, Some people, some people. You don't. You guys don't really say that. Do you know what it means? Do you want me to tell you what it means? (laughs) (laughs) Arse. (laughs) Arse. Um, I no, I worked really, really hard. Like I was a cocktail waitress in New York, and I would work until four in the morning, and I would go to school at nine in the morning and I would do that like all day every day like I just that was my life crushing it it's yeah. crazy yeah. and um actually when I got the modeling visa that was sort of like that kind of fell out of the sky that was kind of magical and I wasn't going to do it I was like not planning on doing that at all because I thought it wouldn't be an artistic thing to do you know to stand in front of a camera even though I think actually now actually I think it is artistic like it's hard to be a model um, <laughs> um but yeah, I I think that if you work really really hard, then you can achieve anything, and that's you know essentially the the American dream, right? Like you you get it done. <laughs> yeah, 
How long have you been in LA now? Oh my god, I think I've been in LA for six and a half years ish. Oh, okay, wow. So yeah, so good chunk of time. And this and the feature film for those of our listeners that, that don't know or maybe haven't heard of it, the feature film Good Dick that you wrote. Yep. I guess you wrote that and then you <clears throat> produced it. You you filmed and then produced it. Mm-hmm. What was it two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand six? It was shot, oh, really? and then it was cut 2007, and then it went to Sundance in 2008, and it came out in the cinemas in 2008. That's amazing. So when you, this was the first feature film script that you had written, and I, I remember when I read the interview on Jocelyn Town's upcoming films website. Yes. that's a whole story that we'll that we'll tell later. But um, uh, I read the interview, and you said that you know you had read this statistic about about women. Mm-hmm. Um, that really kind of troubled you and, you and you just felt compelled to write a script about it. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, it drove me nuts, actually, that statistic. I read a statistic that one in three women are sexually abused before the age of 16. And I couldn't believe that, and I was really annoyed by it. And I was thinking about filmmakers who I really admire, like Ken Loach or Peter Mullen, um, who really focus on an issue when they make a film like they're really trying to help people like help a group of people or enfranchise a group of people um and so I thought that I could do something that helped that group of people or at least illuminated those issues a little bit um so that's where the script came from and it literally just came out of me like I'm not really sure how that works when you write something but the last script I wrote, I have four scripts. So Good Dick was the first one. I'm doing one in Scotland now. I'm doing a third one here in America, and I just wrote my fourth one in four hours and 20 minutes. I remember you telling me that, and I'm, I'm kind of baffled do you believe, by that, too. Did you believe me? Because some people don't believe me. <laughs> well, you said you, you kind of pounded out a first draft and, and basically over the course of a night. Yes, yes, um, from 9 o'clock to 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's really impressive. But I don't... Like plan, I'm not like a planner. I didn't think about it beforehand. Like I wasn't, you know, the way that a writer is a writer. You know, like a a regular screenwriter will like write an outline and stuff. I don't really do that because I I can't really. I mean, I could write an outline if somebody wanted to pay me to do it, but for fun, like I can't. It's not fun for me to do an outline. <laughs> did, um, did you do any? Like, did you study uh, like? R- writing at all like dialogue and reading books on it any resources you can point to or was it just like you were inspired to do something and you just did it it was literally like i don't like that's what i'm saying like i don't know where it comes from it just comes out you know it's like um it's maybe that's magical (laughs) there's something about it that's magical i think you know there's a book called the war of art actually that i did read i got it right there you got it (laughs) one of the best books i've ever read you read yeah. it the whole time? Oh, yeah, like multiple times. I love it. That's yeah. such a good book. Yeah. It's really good. I don't like um, the cover, like the way that it's described. Like, I don't think that's really what the book's about. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I think it does really help. And I think if you're writing something or you're thinking about writing something, that book can propel you forward in a way that I don't think like some of the stuff about structured can, you know? Yeah, and you know what's really interesting about that is that I think in that book he kind of alludes to the was like the ancient Greek way of looking at creativity. Yeah, and they never saw it as they never saw it as as the the individual producing whatever art they were producing. It was always mm-hmm. this 
source or this angel kind of thing that would follow you around and work through you. Yeah. And they called it the genus, which yeah. is now translated into genius for us. And we use right. it differently. But I love that idea. And it sounds kind of like that's what it's maybe, what I mean, happens. yeah, kind of what happened. I mean, with you, yeah. it sounds like that's kind of something you experienced. It just kind of flowed through you and into the mm-hmm. page. It feels like you're a puppet or you're, um, you know, like you're sitting there and like someone's moving the keys for you. Sometimes it feels like that. Mm. Um, but I think that's quite, uh, yeah, I do think that's accurate, at least for me. Can you imagine what people would accomplish if they just like sat down and did it? Like, if that's the case, if there, if you know, <clears throat> if you if you subscribe to that mm-hmm. belief that you know you you may have a muse, or you may have something that works, you know, through you, and you're just kind of like the, um, the 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 thing that's you know propelling the, the instrument. Really. Yeah, the instrument yeah. exactly. Fist. Then. Man, that to me that's very inspiring because to me it's yeah. like okay, just sit down and do it. Just, yeah, you know we've talked about it so many times on this podcast about like self either self producing work or or just generating some kind of art and and it's like just just go, just do it. You know, yeah. so many people hold themselves back yeah. through fear and Elizabeth Gilbert has a great TED talk on that. <clears throat> And yeah, she says, I've seen that. She oh. says something to the, to, to the degree that, like, the only thing I can control is that I can show up every day at 9 o'clock and start working. And if yeah. that, that force decides not to show up, then that's its problem. I showed up to do my job. Yeah, right? at least I know I showed up. Right. I remember that. That's a great TED Talk, actually. It is a great one. I love that one. Yeah. I really agree with that. I think it's true that you can really do whatever you want as long as you put your mind to it and you focus. I think... Um, it's incredibly inspiring when you see people in their element doing what they're supposed to do. And if you can figure out for yourself what it is you're supposed to do, because not everyone's supposed to be a writer and not everyone's supposed to be, um, you know, a pa- not everyone's supposed to do, like, everything. But if you can figure out what it is you're supposed to do and also what it is you're supposed to say, that's really, really key. Um, and when you have a sense of purpose like that, it's incredible. And when you follow your vitality, then just amazing things happen like people suddenly want to help you um all these other things fall into place it's really it's really wonderful that's great so <laughs> finding finding your your voice too on mm-hmm. top of it. that's mm-hmm. awesome what was that like for you i mean you said you kind of knew when you were 16 or so that you wanted to be an actor and you came to new york with a 100 bucks but yeah. was this just like this knowing or was this something that evolved or something that you consciously chose or that chose you i think it um i think it's all of those things i think i just kind of listened to what I needed and what um, what I was trying to achieve because it's more like it was more about like what I could give to in my mind it's more about like what I can give to the culture the society like about what I, like it's more about what I can say as opposed to like you know kind of prepare, propelling myself forward in some kind of hierarchy or something like that. Like, I, you have to be, like, so... I, I have to be so quiet when I'm, like, deciding what I'm going to do. I I just kind of sit with myself and figure it out. You know, I... The, the projects that I work on, you know, last for five years. I mean, I'm still doing stuff for self... Like the self-distribution with Good Dick, so... You know, it's a long, long process, and you have to make sure that what you're working on is something that you really believe in, I think, because when it's your project it stays with you for the rest of your life and because we self-released good dick um the rights to that are are mine and i can leave them in my will to my niece um or whoever you know um 
whoever I choose, which is amazing because then, you know, talking about like having an artistic voice and using it, but having that voice uh, make you money and then having that voice be something that's your legacy is kind of incredible, I think, too. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by It does by translate that. into something tangible after all. Um, I know. think so. Yeah. I like to think so. That's cool. <laughs> so on this note, I, I, I want to grill you a little bit about the production company. That That's so funny. I was just grill about me, to say that. Yeah, we do that. We're doing that more and more. I was just about to say, because <laughs> well, I was just going to say, like, it's a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a good segue. You know, <laughs> translating into something, you know, uh, a tangible is a good segue into, like, from this, you know, sort of talk about, like, your muse and stuff to, like, the practical, pragmatic, like, I want to know you know, how do you get those people, like you said, to help you and how you, you know, how you started your production company and how you, you know, put together a film and then got, you know, awesome distribution on it. I mean, is that kind of where you were headed, Trev? Yeah, totally. Well, um, when Good Dick, uh, was finished, um, our co-producers, like Jason Ritter and I have a production company together, and then Cora Olson and Jen Dubin are these two ladies who have a company called Present Pictures. So the two production companies made Good Dick together, and then Cora and Jen applied to Sundance with it after I had locked it. Um, and then when we found out we got in, it was kind of a shock for me. I was so surprised because... I was kind of cynical about it and didn't think that Sundance watch all of the stuff that they're sent, which actually they do watch everything. (laughs) Um, And they're an incredible entity. Um, So after Good Dick went to Sundance, we self-released it here in the States and we had a traditional distribution company in the UK release it there. And then they also sold it around the world. So... Um, I got to see both aspects of like what it's like to release your film by yourself and what it's like for a company to do it. Um, when you do it by yourself, you know you have total creative control, which is really fun. Like I got to think about what I wanted the poster to be and just make that. You know, it was like mine, um, and that's really fun. But it's also really fun to delegate and give other people the job of doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the day to day with the production company, it's it is a heck of a lot of work. Yeah. It's the other side of the brain. It's very technical. There's lots of deals to be made. There's lots of numbers to figure out. There's lots of stuff to talk about on the phone all the time. Like, I'm forever on conference calls or talking to Scotland on Skype or, you know, I'm doing this other film in Scotland right now, so there's a lot of um, discussion on the phone Hmm. internationally. (laughs) And then when I'm in Scotland and I'm working there, I have to be talking to America, so... I'm mm. kind of in two countries at once, if that makes sense. And this is all a lot of new territory for you. I mean, I yeah. mean not not now per se, but when you were getting started with with Good Dick, I mean, uh, you had never done this stuff before. So, no. are you still kind of? Do you feel like you're still kind of shooting from the hip a little bit, or do you feel like you've um, got a pretty good hold of how things work? I feel like I feel like a professional woman. I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good about it. Um, but it's nice to have the acting on. You know, it's nice having the acting in other people's films because it's like a relief from, you know, because it's like a marathon to get any project done. So having the acting there simultaneously where I can just go into somebody else's film and not have to plan everything and do all the details is so lovely. Like when I did Peter Mullen's film, I went back to Scotland last summer and it was just a beautiful experience to not be in charge, you know, like it's so nice and just act like just acting is so profound to me. I think it's 
one of the most incredible things that human beings do. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really, really fun. And I think that's a nice balance. And obviously, it's not for everyone. Like, some people hate the idea of having a production company um, because it is kind of like a tech-heavy job, you know? Yeah. Well, we, we, on the podcast, we we really believe in actors being writers as well and yeah. being self-producers. So it's something that we really so I'm like your perfect guest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a reason you're sitting on the other side of this table right now. So, I mean, that's something that we definitely condone and we think that all actors should at least look into. So um, if somebody was maybe thinking about like, hey, you know, I wanted to put together a film. Yeah. Like Mariana did. I want to write yeah. it. I want to get into producing it. I want to submit it to festivals. Yeah. What kind of advice would you give them to kind of get started on that path? Um, they should read The War of Art. You know, they should write a script or a detailed outline and then improvise from the detailed outline. But when they give, they have to figure out, like, if they are if they are a writer or if they are good at it, you know. Um, so giving it to other people and getting feedback is always really important, I think. And getting honest feedback is really important. I think starting a production company is a really good idea. You can do that online. The other thing you can do is, like, really come up with, a like, a mission statement, which I think is kind of important. Like, what you want the company to do. Like, what do you want your production company to say or what do you want to say as a director? You know, like, what's your plan? Um, I think that's quite good. Like, I... Morning night... um, we made like this outline for what we wanted Morning Night to be and um, being kind was number one. I could mm. just think that that's really important. That was the number one item, be kind? Be kind. <laughs> to each other, to the planet, to other people? or Yeah, to or everyone. Everything. To everyone. That is amazing. <laughs> that's very cool. That was number one. Mm. And then there were all these other specifics. Um, but I think that's really fun to do as well as, you know, the other technical stuff. Hmm. I love that because we've had so many conversations to talk about um, uh, what is your why. What is your why? Okay, that's cool. With the podcast or with, you know, um, other projects, like, to make sure that you... (laughs) You understand, you know, why it is you're doing what you're you're doing Mm -hmm. because that is ultimately the most important thing. And if you know what your why is, then that Mm -hmm. speaks to your... um, your morals, your ethics, you know, you know, business practices, and also with um, regards to what your your voice is and what it is, like you said, what what it is you want to say mm-hmm. with that company or with that that uh, project, right? Guess, and say. what you think <clears throat> needs to change, like what nobody else is doing, you know, that you think should be done. This is cool because I mean, I mean, to me, the idea of I'm so. I have two brains about this whole thing because the mm-hmm. idea of of having a production company, you know, quote unquote, and, and creating work like this uh, seems so easy and fun and simple. It's like, yeah, we just get a camera, we get a sound guy, we get some lights, and then we shoot it, and then we edit it, and then, <laughs> we, and then we've got it. But then, uh, like, the production company really comes into play during that that shooting process, and also especially afterwards with distribution. So yeah. on that level, it seems very complicated and very difficult, and it, to be frank, it, it totally scares me. So it's yeah. like when you get to, I, I mean, I, I, I know I'm not alone in saying that like the idea of making films is really appealing mm-hmm. and it's something that, you know, we, we all do, but yeah. the idea of helming something like that is uh, terrifying to a lot of people. So totally, especially very, with your first project. Yeah. It's very complicated and mm-hmm. stuff. So what, what advice would you give to somebody who's maybe looking at this world and 
shaking in their boots a little bit. Well, I think it's a very normal feeling. I mean, I think it's not difficult once once you're in it, but it, it, it's like the thought of it is terrifying, you know? And I think it gets harder. That stuff just gets harder and harder because you make a film and, you know, Good Dick went to Sundance and then everybody's like, oh, um there's suddenly like this new pressure on the project like when I was making it it was like making something in a dark cave and then and just you know I was thinking I was going to show my friends only like my peers um and then all of a sudden it's like got this spotlight on it and everyone's looking at it um and that in itself is like a new universe of pressure and then when you have that completed and you're doing something else like your second it's like the second album the third album like these are all like very interesting issues um I don't think that stuff ever I don't think those voices ever go away but I think you get better at turning the volume down on them because they don't serve you so you just have to like pretend they don't exist I think a lot of people let the negative voice take them out of the game Right, like immediately, like before they've done anything. Yeah, in fact, I'd say most people probably let uh-huh. that happen. Yeah. So how do you how do you navigate that? Um, you just, you know, like I say, believe in yourself. Like keep the faith. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I think um, I do believe that it, in a certain way, it's it's not like it gets easier once you're like in front of everyone and like on the world stage do you know what I mean it's like harder now but or scarier now or it should be but you can't really let it get to you I think there's a lot to be said for just allowing yourself to sit with yourself and enjoy silence for a bit because your mind you don't realize how noisy and crazy and just fucking nuts your mind is uh-huh. until you give yourself a chance uh-huh. to just sit without a cell phone without music without uh, tv yeah. without other people in the room yeah. you give yourself an hour man it's just like you're you will finally start to realize not only how noisy your brain is but also how just you really start to hear yourself if yeah. that makes sense yeah you know what i mean yeah. and it sounds like you're good at that i like myself like i know that sort of doesn't sound um sounds like I'm an asshole but I do like I think and I think you have to and I don't think you can make good work if you're not like in a good place um and being quiet is part of that I think well I just have one last question before we wrap it up um here which is um again a sort of practical or pragmatic question I would like to hear you discuss um because of the sort of democratization distribution thanks to the internet yeah. um, with film and, and that sort of thing you, your film Good Dick I mean have we t- plugged it yet you can go and watch it on on Hulu for, for free so how how does it happen that you go from I mean obviously you said you submitted it to Sundance so does does the attention that it got at Sundance does that open up all these doors um, or do you have to still go after you said you're still working on you know getting it out there like I just want to hear you talk about the sort of the distribution end of things after after everything is sort of um, in the can, as yeah. it were, yeah. the work that you do after that to get it seen. Well, um, Good Dick was released in seven cities, and we went to each city. Um, we raised an additional amount of money once we'd gone to Sundance. We raised an additional amount of money to self-distribute it because it costs money to do it. So we hired a theater booker and we hired a PR company. Uh, which is what distribution companies do. They hire a theater booker and they hire a PR company and you pay them by the month. 
um, so you can you know employ them for as long as you like. I think we employed them for three months to do the theatrical release. So we got all this press in every city that we went to, and we travelled with the film because Jason and I adored the movie, and we were in it, and it was kind of like exciting because we didn't have to sit, you know, like the writer, director, actress was the same person, so it wasn't like we were shipping all these people out. Like, um, it was cheaper because I was one person. Um, and so then after the theatrical release and that press, like that press is really the stuff that you need to sell the film to a DVD company um, or to cable, you know, like if you have press from the theatrical release, you're not going to make like loads and loads of money on the theatrical re- release right now. Um, at this point, but um, that kind of brings up your your DVD, the price of your mm-hmm. DVD. Gotcha. So, um, so that's why we did it, basically, and also because it was really fun. Um, and then we got a regular DVD deal, uh, a traditional DVD deal we did with a company called Phase 4, and they got it in Blockbuster and Walmart and everywhere, Redbox, cool. all those places. Um, and then... We did a deal with Showtime, so they had it for 18 months, I believe. Um, And so then we also did a Time Warner... We did a deal with Time Warner, which is a video-on-demand deal, so, like, you can buy it. You can buy Good Dick on on video-on-demand in 50 million homes. doesn't mean that, like, 50 million people are going to buy it, but they could if they wanted to. Right. Um, And the interesting thing about that, obviously, and all the other deals we did is that we split the money with those companies as opposed to with the distribution. Like, the distribution company would usually split that money with those companies, and then later, after the distribution company has recouped and dealt with their expenses, then they maybe pay you. Hmm. That's sort of how that works. Um, And, you know, if they're honest, then they do pay you, and if they're not, then they don't. (laughs) Um, and you don't see any money. Um, That's tricky. It's very tricky. Um, but there were other revenue streams too. Like the, there are lots of different ways that you can make money from the movie. Like you can have a party, you know, and show your film and charge money for people to come and see it, or you can do, you know, whatever you want. There's lots and th- lots and lots of different ways to make money. Um, or a Kickstarter, which is how I actually yeah. kind of Found came, me. came across you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right, because Jocelyn uh, Town is my friend, and she raised money on Kickstarter. She raised $112. Um, 112000 Yeah, $112. would <laughs> $112. $112 would be like, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. She's <laughs> making a, a movie that's a second long. Difference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a big difference. Yeah, it's a big yeah. difference. But, yeah, she did that before she's made the film. She's raised, like, that money, which is really, really cool. Um, and I actually think that... When Good Dick was released, I thought, okay, the world has changed, the internet's taking over, everyone's going to self-release everything. And then actually, I don't think that's the case. I think that um, some films are some films are going to be bought and sold um, in a traditional manner, and that's very good, and other ones are going to um, self-release, and that's also very good. I mean, I think if you have a budget of over like $1.5 million, it doesn't really work, or $2 million. It doesn't really work to self-release. You can't like, you can't do it unless you're like a huge company. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're just four people, like you have to, you have to really think about like what you're doing financially. Um, so, 
that's basically does that answer your question it's very boring no not at all no no no. it was not boring at all and i love that you sort of broke it down with the the steps like first we did the theatrical release then we went to dvd then we went to this and this and this yeah that was fantastic no i I, that was exactly what i was looking for hoping for because when Um, you're talking to those individual companies they they sometimes will be like okay we'll take a percentage of this or we'll take a percentage of that like they'll try and get percentages of other things that are not really theirs mm-hmm. and if you can just keep them like if you can just do the dvd deal with the dvd guys and they can just take that dvd money and nothing else mm-hmm. that's what you want to do you want to cut it up like a pizza so that you get money coming in and nobody else is taking bits of it it's mm-hmm. just the people who made the movie like it's just the distribution company right wow that's awesome so that's sort of what the plan was but thank god that this year at sundance everything sold it's like amazing yeah yeah, I was going to say, I was reading like about a lot independent of... Independent film is back, like I'm so 30, happy. 30 or so deals with major so studios. Good. Yeah, yeah, which was like, in 2008, I think there were two. Wow. We came out with two. So wow. it's a very different world, like, this year than it was in 2008, you know? And I think that's just so great for independent filmmakers and for financiers and for sustainability it's just really 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 different it's really an amazing statistic to think about you know because it's once again democratization of distribution it's getting cheaper to get the equipment and people have stories to tell you know Mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully the the cream will rise to the top and audiences are coming around they're 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 getting tired of the big blockbusters that mm. don't have a lot of heart or soul. Mm-hmm. And so they're starting to come around to the smaller films again that, yeah. that actually say important stuff and don't just have a bunch of explosions. That's a huge generalization. <laughs> but I mean, I see I see the trend happening. I see the shift happening, yeah. which I think is really cool. That's great. Um, so we should wrap this up because we're, we're just about out of time. But we have two questions that we like to ask every guest. Every guest? <laughs> do you feel like this career path chose you or do you feel like it? you chose it? And you kind of answered that, but did you want to maybe? What did I say? Did I say it chose me? You said you said, you said it was both. I yeah. said it was both. Yeah, yeah I'll stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And then the second question we like to ask is: um, if you could take all your experience uh, producing, writing, acting, <clears throat> directing, um, distributing, all this stuff, mm-hmm. and distill it down to one nugget of advice to give an actor or somebody who might be interested in self-producing some of their work. What would that nugget of advice be? Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. If I say one thing? Yeah, if you had to bring just the, the top wow. most important wow. thing. Wow. The most important thing? Yeah, that's so good. That's such a good question. I think it would just be keep the faith. That's all. Is that... Is that, like, cheesy? No, no, (laughs) No, that's awesome. It can be cheesy if it's what you believe. I think it's so important. And I think be kind is wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. Because you can't do anything. You can't do anything if you're bitter or, you know, frustrated or insecure. Like, you can't do anything from any of those places. You have to be... You have to kind of figure out what it is you can give as opposed to what, like, other people can give to you. Hmm. And also look people in the eye. By the way, like, in Los Angeles, like, nobody looks you in the eye. It's a wee bit weird. Yeah. I don't know if people are, like, not comfortable with themselves or if they're, like, they feel like they've done something wrong in their life. <laughs> but everywhere else in the world, like, people look at you and they're 
you know, they hold your gaze. Well, Mariana, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank for, you, guys. You guys are brilliant. <laughs> thank oh. you for taking the time to sit down with us. Um, if people want to find out more about you, mm-hmm. about Good Dick... Yeah. Um, about Neds. About your production company, about Neds, the film you're doing. Which, Robert which De Niro just bought it, by the way. Did I tell you that? I saw that. I got the uh, I get the Filmmaker magazine newsletter, and I saw that he picked <gasps> it up. You saw it was in Filmmaker? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he bought it, which is so cool. Um, so it's going to come to America, which I didn't think was ever going to happen. Anybody can find me so easily on Facebook and Twitter and all of those places. GoodDigTheFilm.com is the website for Good Dig. And gooddick.com is something else. Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> or go there, or go there, but go there in another moment. <laughs> go there and know what you're yeah, in Don't for. Don't go there looking for Marianne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, guys, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed our interview with self-producer, actress, writer-director, Mariana Polka, who's just the sweetest. She came over when we did shots of the vegetable juice. (laughs) She brought, it was awesome. She had, like, this green, like, you know, those, those green shakes with, like, I feel like when you watch them make it, it's like they're making cattle food like they're literally taking like grass they're like they like cut you go to one of these like juice bars these like fancy like a uh, la juice bar even jamba juice what am i talking about fancy like you can go to a franchise and get this and they're like taking scissors and like cutting grass by hand and then shoving it into this thing that like grinds it up and it turns it into you know juice and then you drink it's like why am i drinking grass right now yeah but it was yeah. super good it was really good yeah yeah <laughs> so she brought over some of that and we were like literally drinking them out of shot glasses it was amazing there's pictures on our Twitter feed if you go back to when we did the interview. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she was she was great and uh, we were really grateful to have her on the podcast and we got some some awesome questions answered about, you know, self-producing, which yeah. uh, we're really interested in ourselves. So so uh, this will be the section of the podcast where we talk about our picks of the week. Yeah. Um, what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week, I'm going to make this quick. Get it? It's called Quickie. <laughs> um, so the name, yeah, don't, don't pay no attention. The name doesn't mean what you think it means. It's not Quickie the way it's usually spelled. Yeah, that was it's, my initial reaction. Yeah. I was like, Quickie.com. Okay. Yeah. I'm sending you to a porn website, everyone. No, Quickie. Q and then Wiki, as in Wikipedia. Q-W-I-K-I. So Quickie is this service that allows you to basically you you go on and you can do a search for essentially any topic, and then the website does a Google search, um, Google Images, Google Web, just goes you know does crawls across the entire internet for this topic that you've done a search for, pulls together the results, <clears throat> and then shows you in a sort of like slideshow video thing with a computer computerized voice voiceover. This like it's it's almost like a documentary, yeah. About you, whatever it is that you you typed in, it's sort of like instant documentary. You said instant documentary, and I was like, oh my god, it is. <laughs> it totally is. So if you type in like uh, Trevor's pick of the week, uh, which I won't give away, you type in the pick of the week, and all of a sudden it just like started talking about yeah this information just pictures were coming up and it was just saying like this was formed in the year like it's anyway (laughs) just try it out it's pretty cool i like it i'm sure the service will continue to get better but to me when i use this service it feels like i'm in the future and that's enough for me to use it 
<laughs> that's awesome yeah it's very cool it's very cool um and we might as well just parlay that into mine because uh i typed in radiohead into this uh this search box on the website and uh learned a little bit about radiohead and my pick of the week is um radiohead's new album called king of limbs you can get it uh, on their website it's not on itunes yet i don't know if it will be i don't think their stuff is on iTunes, or maybe it is. I don't know. But um, you can go to their website, Radiohead.com or KingOfLimbs.com, and uh, download it. Um, I'm really fascinated by the digital music do-it-yourself distribution model that seems to be kind of revolutionizing. It's artist to fan. There's no middleman anymore. And it's mm-hmm. so cool to see artists create these pieces of artwork to go with their their music. Like, you could... On the on the website, you can download the album for nine bucks, or you can order a physical copy called like the newspaper album or something, and it's got like all this original artwork, and they handcraft each one out of newspaper, and and they send you a vinyl copy of the uh, album as well. I I think it's so freaking cool how you can connect with people um, with these different kind of forms of art, uh, and. One of the reasons I love, I made this album the pick of my week, is that the video for one of the songs called Lotus Flower is the coolest freaking music video I've ever seen. It's just this black and white, beautifully shot video of Tom York just kind of dancing. And I saw Radiohead live at Coachella a few years ago, and I was just amazed at how expressive Tom York is on stage. He just dances like a madman. He's just crazy the way he moves and dances. And this video is just him just improvising this crazy dance for like a four minute song. And it's the coolest, most enthralling thing I've ever seen on YouTube. Uh, the video got, it's gotten 3 million views since it went online about three, four days ago. So check it out. Uh, on, I'm going to piggyback on my pick of the week too, and quickly mention some, uh, some listener generated content, uh, a Twitter, uh, user named George Pauly, actually sent me a message and he said, I, I really dig the podcast, what you guys are doing. And I actually, you guys always say to self-produce. So I went ahead and I self-produced a music video for my band. And all I paid for was pizza for the crew, which is basically a bunch of friends and a lens for the camera that we had. And if you look at the video, I'll post a link to it on our website. If you look at the video for his band, it's just a camera set up. And I guess they, they slowed down the song a little bit and then kind of did the whole thing in one take, and then they sped up the song, which then in turn sped up the video. So it looks so the song plays in regular time. I don't know if uh-huh. I'm, hope I'm explaining this right. Yeah. And so all the video is like maybe 25% faster than real life. So it's really cool to watch them kind of assemble their instruments behind him while he just stands there and sings to the camera, like slightly faster than... It's really cool. I'll post a link to the website... But I thought it was a great example of uh, of somebody who's going out there and making it happen. And I was amazed at how professional it looks. It looks like a real music video that you would see on like MTV or something. And I thought it was really cool that he, he got in touch with us and said, Hey, I, I, I kind of was inspired to do this partly by listening to your podcast. And all it cost me was pizza, some time, and a lens rental for the camera. So check it out. The link will be on our site. That is awesome. Wow. I just talked for like five minutes straight there um (laughs) so uh anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up for episode 43 i was just gonna say uh, the stuff that you were saying about radiohead first of all they are on itunes except for the their most recent album but i was gonna say the whole thing you were talking about between the artist and the fan uh was very interesting when in rainbows came out i think it was in rainbows right Mm -hmm. where they just said like it was like a pay what you can yeah album they were like pay whatever you want and some people paid nothing and some people probably paid 
hundreds of dollars, yeah. you know, and some people probably just pay, you know, it's like, this is what we think it's worth. Yeah. You know, and you can, but you, you know, you tell us what you think it's worth. And they, they, they actually made some ridiculous amount of money by oh, yeah. doing that. Yeah. Now, obviously, they have a lot of, uh, they have a lot of notoriety. They have a huge yeah, fan they're, base. They're they Radiohead. <laughs> they're Radiohead. They have a huge following. But I just thought it was really interesting that they were just like, you, you know, you pay us, you know, what you think it's worth. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to be, hopefully, in the next few months, self publishing some of my own music. And I found a great website called Bandcamp that you can use to do that. And it has all sorts of options for making a, giving away some of your content for free while charging for some of the other stuff. And it's, re- it's really fascinating to me because I think the parallels between what's happened to the music industry and what's now happening to the uh, film industry and the television industry are very, very similar. And yeah, I think we're going to see the same sort of direct artist-to-fan relationship start to develop between actors who should, I believe, all be filmmakers now. Um, and the people who consume their stuff, yeah, their their art. It's very true. It's very true. Yeah. So speaking of paying what you think something's worth, there's a little yellow button <laughs> on our website on the right hand side, yeah. and it says donate above it, and you can do it do so in two ways. You can either do one sort of lump sum donation or subscribe to the podcast by donating a coffee bagel lunch or the podcast to us do we actually call it the podcast i think it's called the twenty dollar a month version (laughs) yeah on our website of course all of this stuff uh, as you know comes out of our pocket Uh, all the time spent to not only get together record drive to the interviews record the interviews record you know our sort of banter and all of the equipment and the file hosting and the gas spent to do everything i said before is all coming out of our pocket and it takes a lot of time it's not cheap or easy to do this (laughs) is what is what we're saying and your financial support means the world to us really it does and i know we keep talking about all the exciting things we have coming up and you guys may have already started to notice it happening slowly but surely like for instance the uh, Marcy Liroff interview being partially video like that's something that we could not do if it wasn't for your donation so yeah. uh, we really appreciate it and we would love for you to check it out so visit our website at insideactingpodcast.com to do that and to also find out the myriad ways to get in touch with us that's right leave us a voicemail send us a tweet um you can email us, leave a comment on the website. You can also uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a review on the iTunes store, which would be awesome. Find us on Actor Rated, leave us a review there. That helps. Um, did I miss anything? Oh, Facebook? Yes, You can Facebook. find us on Facebook.com slash Inside Acting. All of this info is on the website, so hop on over there and uh, get in touch with us. We love to interact with people who listen to us on the internet uh so i think that does it for episode 43 yes it does my friend so for episode 43 of inside acting i'm trevor elgott and i'm aj meyer we'll see you next week and in the meantime enjoy a quickie